morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. This is week two of what I told you last week was going to be several weeks where we are going to take the time each Sunday to dive into two words, and they're words that we have grown up hearing, whether it was in elementary school or middle school or high school or college, the words true or false. And then what we're going to do each Sunday, we're going to tag on to those two words a question, a question that I think is important because each one of these questions are really questions that all of us have asked as followers of Jesus. At some time, at some point in our walk of faith, we've been confronted and we've wondered or we've actually asked the question that we're going to tag on to those two words, true or false. Is it true or is it false? This past week, I heard the story of a guy who was tra traveling down a road, and he said, you know, I'm, I was going down this road, and I saw a car, and, and I looked, and this car was in, in a driveway, and it had a for sale sign on it, and I'd always wanted a car like this, and it was a Mercedes, uh, and the Mercedes was for sale because the for sale sign was in the window. He said, so I went down, and I turned around, and I went back to the house to look at the car. Uh, as I was looking at the car, a lady came out, and she questioned me, and she said, are you, are, you, are you interested in my car that I have for sale? And he said, yes. He said, I've always wanted a Mercedes. And he said, you know, it's just so beautiful. It's just a couple of years old. And he asked her how many miles it had on it. She told him, and she sa he said, you know, uh, this is exactly what I have always wanted, but I could never afford to buy a car like this. How much are you asking for this car? And she said, $500. And he immediately went back to his car, got his checkbook, and wrote the lady a check. And as she was handing him the title, and he was putting the title in his pocket, he said, but, but do you mind if I ask you a question? And she said, sure. He said, why, why is it that you're asking so little for this really, really expensive car? And she said, well, I'll tell you. She said, my husband ran off with a lady from his office. This morning, he called me from Cancun and said, I want you to sell my car and wire me the money. So I'm selling his car. <laughs> and I would say in his mind, that was going to be failure. I think we've all experienced failure. I think everybody in the room has, at some level, in some area of our life, has experienced failure, whether it's in business or relationships or uh, health. We've all experienced failure. So it kind of brings us to the question this morning that I want us to talk about, and not on a, a funny level, not on a, uh, on a silly level, but on a very serious level. We're going to ask the question, true or false, God cares about my failures. True or false, when it comes to the failures that you've experienced in life, does God really care about your failures? Now, if you were here last week, then you know that I said we're going to look at stories from Scripture that will actually help us answer the very questions that we're going to propose each week. But I actually have taken this a step forward, and I know we have some people visiting here today. And one of the things I suggested that you do was to go back and look at the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Because what I was going to do is answer each one of these questions, true or false, whatever the question is that we tag onto those two words. I'm going to actually answer that question 
by going to Scripture, and then also in Scripture, you will have seen the story that we use to answer the question in that movie, The Passion of the Christ. And it will help you to further identify which each of these questions that we're going to ask. And today we're looking at a story of a man who failed. This is a story of failure. It's not only a story of failure, it's a story of a man who failed his best friend. And not only did he fail his best friend, he is also someone that denied his master. The story that we're going to look at today is the story of a man who felt that failure had put him forever beyond the reach of God's grace. But thankfully and wonderfully, he turned out to be wrong. This is a story for anyone that has ever been discouraged or broken by failure. The story we're looking at this morning is actually the story of the weakness of man and the greatness of God. This is a story about a man who threw away the chance of a lifetime. But at the same time, this is also a story about the God of the second chance. Look with me at Luke chapter 22. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, Luke chapter 22, and remember that we're answering these questions from something that you saw if you took the time to watch The Passion of the Christ. And again, we're going to be here probably a couple of more weeks, maybe three weeks. But again, if you haven't done that, you can get it free if you have Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, some of the other streaming services have it where you can watch it for maybe $2. Some of you still have it on DVD. Again, uh, watch it if you have time. But this morning we're going to Luke chapter 22. Here's what the scripture says. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man, talking about Peter, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you, 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 you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow, talking about Peter, was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. And those words were, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me. You will deny me three times. And he went outside, Peter did. And he wept bitterly. Now, here's the thing that's interesting to me. We're talking about Peter. Peter denies Jesus three times right there in that courtyard. 
And the interesting thing, when you look at the life and you look at the, the history that Peter had with Jesus, this wouldn't be the first time. Because, see, here's the thing. I think maybe at that moment that, that Peter denied Jesus, that very last time, that third time, maybe at that moment Peter remembered another time, that time that he left all of his disciple friends in the boat, that time that he walked on water at least for a few moments, and then his faith gave away, and Peter began to sink. And you think, well, of course he sank because his name is Peter, which means rock. And rocks always sink. Of course he sank. Maybe, maybe if his name was Bob or Corky or something, he would have he made it. Maybe things would have been different. But he failed that time. He failed walking on the water. But it was the Lord of the second chance that would rescue him. And that wasn't the only time. There was the time when Jesus said he was actually speaking the words of Satan to Peter. The time when he tried to rescue Jesus with his sword when Jesus was about to be apprehended and Peter cut off the ear from the soldier who was taking custody of Jesus. But now we have reached a point in this courtyard. Now we have reached a time. There's no denying it. There's no more excuses. If Peter is going to be with Jesus, if Peter is going to re receive the healing that he needs from the Lord of the second chance, then Peter is going to have to begin facing up to the truth about who he actually is and what he's done. And let me say this. At the same time that Peter was facing, the same thing that Peter is facing, that's the same thing that you and I are facing this morning. Because if we're going to receive the very thing that we need, then here's the thing that we're going to have to do. We're going to have to be just like Peter. And we're going to need to face up to the truth about us. If we're going to receive from Jesus the very thing that we need, you're going to have to receive, if you want to receive the very thing that you need from Jesus, you're going to have to face the truth about you. And I'm going to have to face the truth about me. If we're going to receive what only Jesus can do, then we must take off our mask. Because most of you came in this building this morning wearing a mask, trying to hide who it is that you really are. You must take off your mask. And this is difficult for us. Because we live in a world where generally on a day-to-day -day basis people wear a mask. I mean, even before COVID and they asked us to wear a mask, when we went in certain places and when we attended a certain events, people were wearing masks. And the reason that they were wearing a mask is because people were trying to hide who it is that they really are. It reminds me of a story. 
And it sounds a little crazy, but, it, but again, it, it fits so perfectly. This, this guy said, you know what, I, I was desperate and I was looking for a job. And he said, I didn't know where to look and, and jobs were not plentiful at the time. And he said, I was scanning through the paper and I saw that there was a job that was available at the local zoo. And it wasn't really something that I thought I would want to do, but it was the only job in the paper that day, and I needed work. So I went to the zoo, and I asked the man in charge of the zoo, and I said, I'm here to apply for the job. Can you tell me about the job? What are the description? What's the job description? What are the things that I'm going to have to do? And the guy said, well, I'll tell you. Our gorilla died. And we can't afford to, hire, to buy a new gorilla. We have only one position here that's open. A few weeks ago, our gorilla died while he was in captivity here at the zoo, and we don't have the funds to replace him with a real, authentic gorilla. So what we want to do, the job that we have for you, is we want to pay you to put on a gorilla suit and get in a cage, and we want you to pretend to be the gorilla. And the guy kind of shrugs his shoulders and thinks about it. And he's like, you know, I, I, inside he was saying, basically, I'm, I'm kind of offended because my mother didn't raise me to be a gorilla. But he's desperate for work. And he needed the money. So he's willing to do anything for work. So he says, okay, I'll take the job. And he takes the gorilla suit and he puts it on. And he comes back to the, the zoo the next day, and he gets in the cage with the gorilla suit on. And, and as you can probably imagine, you know, if you are the person putting on a gorilla suit, it kind of takes a while to get used to it. But at first, he wasn't really excited about playing the part of the gorilla in the local zoo. But the, the more he's there, the more he's there, he gets into it. And soon he's really enthusiastic of swinging on the vines and, and climbing the trees. And I mean, and everybody's excited about watching this gorilla. Not only were they excited about watching the gorilla, they were convinced by his behavior that he was actually a real gorilla. And one day, as he's playing the part of the gorilla, he's swinging on the vines. I mean, swinging on the, side, the vine so enthusiastically that he swings right over the top of the wall into the cage with the lion. And immediately, once the lion realizes that the gorilla is in the same cage with him, the lion goes over and pounces on top of the gorilla. And the gorilla can smell and hear the breath of the lion. And the gorilla starts screaming, help, 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 somebody get me out of here. And the crowd was watching, and they were amazed that the gorilla could speak and talk, and they, they had never seen anything like this. But he hollers, help, get me out of here. And in that moment, the lion says, shut up, or we'll both lose our job. <laughs> there wasn't one authentic animal in the whole zoo. And I think that's where we live. We live in a zoo where people are hiding consistently behind a mask. And living behind a mask in our culture today is what I would call standard operational procedure. 
Because hiding behind a mask is what most people do. That's the way they live their life. And here's what's biblically amazing about that. If you make the choice to live and to hide behind a mask, do you understand that God will allow you to do that? God will allow you, if that's the choice you make, God will allow you to hide behind a mask. I mean, again, go back to the Bible. Because if you take a few minutes and look at the book of Genesis, and you go all the way back to the fall, God comes to the garden after the fall in the cool of the afternoon, and what does he want to do? He wants to be with Adam and Eve. And God proposes a question. Adam, where are you? Now think about that question. Because this is God asking the question, Adam, where are you? I mean, do you ever think about that question? It's God. God's not confused. The question that God proposes, Adam, where are you? is really one of the most interesting, uh, remarkable questions in Scripture. Why would God say or question, Adam, where are you? Because God knows where everybody is. God doesn't have a problem locating car keys. God doesn't have a problem locating things. Locating things is one of the benefits of being omniscient. You never misplace things. God always knows where everything is. So why does God come into the garden and say, Adam, where are you? I'll tell you why. Look at at the screen behind me. Because God allows Adam to hide. And God will allow you to hide from him if you want to. God will allow you to hide behind a mask if that's what you want to do. God does not force any of you to stand openly in front of him, at least in this life, in this world. Judgment day is coming. And that's when the truth is going to come out. But for now, in his mercy... God allows us to come to him if we want to, or God will allow you to hide. And that's what some of you have been doing. Some of you have been hiding for far too long. Some of you have been wearing a mask for far too long. Some of you were wearing a mask way before COVID-19. Some of you have been pretending that, spiritually speaking, you're spiritually healthy. When there's actually this big space between you and God right now, you're wearing a mask pretending that you have it all together on a spiritual basis. Some of you have been pretending that you have a perfect marriage when the truth is your relationship has a hollow chamber where there ought to be a warm and tender heart. Some of you have been carrying around a burden of guilt. 
and you're like in chains. And you've not acknowledged the truth to God. And not only have you acknowledged, not acknowledged the truth to God, you've not acknowledged it to any other human being, and you've not acknowledged it to yourself. Because some of you have been living behind a mask. And you're comfortable there. So if you want to be healed by the Lord of the second chance, you must trust him. You must take it off. You must acknowledge the truth about you and who you really are. Now, now let's fast forward past the story that we were just looking at, past the night where Peter denied Jesus those three times. Let's fast forward way on in the story, past the resurrection of Jesus, to a scene that is one of the most moving in the Scripture. And it's actually a scene where the resurrected Jesus appears to Peter. Peter had lots of failures, but, but that had been his greatest failure. And, and sometimes in life, you have one like this. You, you have something, you, you failed God, you failed yourself, you failed your fellow man in some way, and it feels so bad that it feels like there's nothing that can be done about the failure. You have this failure in your life that seems like it's... Uh, irredeemable. Sometimes you have in life one of those things that you see and you look at and you know that you did or you were a part of and it just seems unforgivable. And Peter is there. He remembers the time that he stood before a fire and not once and not twice, but three times he openly, blatantly denied the one person in the world who loved him more than anyone else. He denied the person who offered him the opportunity of a lifetime and who needed him then more than he would ever need him. Peter denied his God. But now they're together again. Peter and Jesus. And interestingly enough, they're around a fire. And, and, and breakfast is over. And they're standing by the fire. Maybe it's just Jesus and Peter standing by the fire. And this is the first time they've been together since the denial and the crucifixion and the resurrection. There at the fire, it's just the two of them. And there at that fire, that's when Jesus says it. That's when Jesus says this question, or he asks this question, that would actually wound him all the way to the heart. It would wound Peter to the heart. The question that would heal him and bring him back to life. The question Peter would carry to his grave. And I think this is the question that I have come to actually present to all of you who are in this room today and to those who are listening and to watching online this morning. This really is the question of the day, and I want you to see it. It's found in John chapter 21. Here's what it says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, again, picture Jesus and Peter around this fire. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you truly love me more than these? And Peter answers, yes, Lord. He said, you know, you, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had to ask him the third time, do you love me? And he responded by saying, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus proposes what I say is the question of the day. To Peter, the very one who had denied him. Do you love me? And see, here's the thing that I think is interesting. The question is important. But you know what's equally important to me? is what Jesus didn't say. It's really interesting to me the things that Jesus didn't say when he and Peter were standing at that fire. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, Peter, are you sorry that you denied me? He didn't say, Peter, are you sorry about the things that you've done? Jesus didn't say, Peter, do you promise to never fail me again? Peter, are you going to try really hard the next time? I mean, time has gone by. He doesn't ask Peter, Peter, have you, have you started and developed a really successful ministry? Jesus around that fire with Peter doesn't say, have you made a lot of money? How much money have you given? How much money have you raised? How much money have you made? Listen to me this morning. Jesus doesn't ask about service or projects or achievements or triumphs or any of the things that we're tempted to think that count for so much. This is Jesus' question. Do you love me? That's his question to Peter. What Jesus is saying to Peter is, first things first, do you love me? And I'm asking, will you let Jesus ask you that question this morning? I mean, you see it behind me. Jesus is asking you that question. Do you love me? You say you love me, but do you love me? Randy, Randy, do you love me? Do you really love me? Put aside everything else. Put aside work and task and family and ministry and career. Just you and me, Jesus is saying, Randy, do you love me?
And you know, even as I put this together and even as I stand here in front of you and I think about that question, do you love me? It breaks me. And you know why that question breaks me? Because sometimes I know that I love him. But I also know that most of the time I'm filled with myself. And I don't know how or if I really love. Then Jesus says these wonderful words. He asks one question. And then he gives a command. It's really simple. Do you love me? That's the question. And what was the command? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then tend to my flock. Jesus says to Peter, love and teach and guide and guard and shepherd and serve that little flock. Peter, tend to that little flock because that little flock is what means the world to me. Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep, do my work. Build my church. See, the question was proposed to Peter, but the question is proposed to you this morning as well. It's proposed to me this morning as well. Do you love Jesus? Do you love me? Do you love him this morning? Then here's what Jesus is saying to you. Jesus is saying the same thing to you that he said to Peter. Then he's saying this, if you love me, then get back in the game. If you say that you love me, get back in the game. Jesus says to Peter and Jesus says to everyone who ever stood by a fire and failed our God. It's time to get back in the game. And now today, Jesus says to you, whoever you are, wherever you are, and whatever you've done, get, get back in the game. Nurture the gifts that I've given you and cherish the calling that I've given you and devote yourself to the church. And the reason I want you to do that is simply because you've been gifted. You've been gifted. But see, here's the thing that some of you have been doing. Some of you have been holding back because you feel inadequate or guilty over the things that are a part of your past. And Jesus, the Lord of the second chance, comes to you this morning and says, no, 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 no. You're forgiven. Those things that you've done in the past, you're forgiven. Now discover your gifts. Devote yourself to the church. 
Some of you have been given gifts where you could be involved in ways that you could serve the church, but you're not doing it. Some of you could be teaching. Some of you could be in Wamalan at 10.30 serving and, and tending to that little flock. Some of you could take a flock of brothers and sisters. Some of you could shepherd them. You could be the one to help Christ to be formed in them. But for whatever reason, your sense of inadequacy or guilt or failure, you've been holding back. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, feed my sheep. Tend to my flock. Get back in the game and build my church. Because this is the Lord of the second chance. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big your failure is. Because no matter what your failure might have been that you brought with you this morning, your failures can't be bigger than Peter's failures. So if you hear nothing else I say, hear what I'm about to say. We need to understand that the church is a place for people who need do-overs. This isn't a place for people who don't need do-overs. The church is not a place for people who don't need grace. It's a place for people who need to be redeemed. Because redeeming is what God is into. Redeeming is what God has been into since the very beginning of time. I mean, think about it. God comes to old father Abraham. Who laughs about the promise that God had made him and lies about his wife. But God says to Abraham, Abraham, what about a do-over? Abraham, let's start a do-over nation, and then let's make a do-over world. God comes to a shepherd named David, who became a king, but committed adultery and murder. God comes to a prophet named Jonah, who ran away and was rescued by a whale who found himself in the belly of that fish and, and wanted to die because he had to sit in the sun with no vine to give him shade. God comes to a nation of stiff-necked and idolatrous people, to a persecutor named Saul who would mock his son and terrorize his people. Time and time again, to desperate, lonely, sinful people. God comes. And God says, why not let me give you grace? Why not let me give you a do-over? Because the thing that God is into is redeeming. See, God is the finder of 
directionally challenged you. God is the searcher of lost coins. God is the embracer of prodigal sons. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known to men. God redeems and redeems and redeems and redeems. And he is here right now by his spirit because that is what he longs to do for you. He's the God of the do-over. He's the God of the mulligan. He's the Lord of the second chance. And today, just like with Peter, he has for you this morning, Crossroads, just one question. And that question is this. Do you love me? He has just one question for you this morning. just one command then feed my sheep if you love me feed my sheep tend to my flock help build my church this church the corporate church if you love me that's what you'll do would you pray with me this morning God, we stand in your majesty, in your glory, in your presence. Because that's where we long to be. Just like the song we sang at the very beginning of the message, we just want to be lovers of your presence. Because it's there that we realize your majesty and your grace and how beautiful and how great you really are. And today with each one of us, those here in the room, those listening, those watching online, you have proposed that very simple question, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then help me build the church. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It's redeemable. It can be forgiven. Maybe right where you are this morning, right where you're seated, maybe you're listening at home or listening in an office. And maybe you feel like you're inadequate. There's some sin that's been a part of your life. Wherever you are, right where you are, you can ask the forgiveness of that sin. Just say, Jesus, I come to you as I am. Realizing that in your grace, in your mercy, that you want to redeem me, to forgive me for the things that have been a part of my life. And I want to sit right where I am, stand right where I am, wherever, I, if I'm driving in the car. I want that past to be erased so I can move forward. And when you ask that question, do you love me? I can say yes. And when you issue that command, take care of my flock and feed my sheep, I can be prepared to do that. Because your blood covers me and cleanses me as white as snow that's how big God is and that's how good God is God we love you and we thank you and we are encouraged and strengthened by the fact 
that no failure that we've ever been through is too big. If we will simply lay it at the foot of the cross and accept the forgiveness that's available to us, we can follow you and do things that we never dreamed of. God, we love you and we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.